Voila. How's everyone doing? So I have also probably that thing I want to mention to you. Uh, in the seat backs of the chairs in front of you on Sunday mornings, not Sunday evenings, uh, there is a card that looks like looks like this. It's uh, on one side. It says "Heart for the Harvest." And it's your five friend focus. And then on the back side, it's heart for the home, five family focus. The five family focus would be family members inside the church that you believe that the Lord has just laid upon your heart to pray for. And so it's an opportunity to use as a bookmarker, a Bible marker. And when you read your Bible on a daily basis, someone say amen that you would have those prayer requests right in front of you. And it'd be an opportunity for you to pray for family members. And it's always awesome how many of us really want the Lord's blessing in our lives. Amen. So I want you to know if your prayer was, Father, bless them, that would be epic. Maybe the Lord would lay some other thing on your heart to pray. And you just want to be obedient to the Lord and just pray as the Lord leads you for those family members. Uh, Then your five friend focus, your five friend focus would be five people that you believe that God by his Holy Spirit is drawing to Jesus. And you want to, in cooperation with God the Spirit, pray that they would be recipients and receive even that conviction in their hearts that they might become born-again followers of Jesus. So there's no question in our minds here that everybody knows someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so will you ask God the Father who, because here's the other part of that, there's a cooperation piece that we get to be involved with, and that is, you, you may have the opportunity. Here's what I've noticed. Let me say it this way. Here's what I've noticed. When I begin to pray for someone that they would uh, hear the message, receive the message, it's uncanny the times that I have engaged in conversation with them the moment I began to pray for them, where I'll bump into them or I'll all of a sudden have the opportunity to have one-on-one conversation. I've been praying for a guy at a 76 gas station for a while. And I thought, man, I hadn't seen him in a while. His name's uh, name's Kevin. I thought, Lord, I haven't seen Kevin for a while. Do you know the very next time I needed gas, I wasn't anywhere near the 76 station, but I thought, I hope I make it to the 76 station because that's where I'm going. And Kevin's there. And it was at an obscure time that he wouldn't normally have been there. And so I thought, wow, God, thank you for the opportunity. And we engaged in conversation because there was no other cars at the pump. I thought, excellent, captive audience, you know. So I just get out of the car and I open up the thing and take the cap out. And now I'm in conversation with them. And 
God will give opportunity. We simply get to be salt and light. So I want to just encourage you, and we will on Sunday mornings from time to time, and more often than not, we'll, we'll actually, beginning this coming Sunday, grab a hold of your five-friend focus, and we're, we're going to be praying for you, and we're going to be praying for those folks. And as we pray corporately, there'll be the opportunity for you, under your breath, to be ma- naming them off. And so I have, I have my list, and my list actually has five, and then I got two on the side over here that I just met this past week, and it was an amazing encounter with this man and woman at Sherry's. I was checking out. They were checking out. They were in front of me, an elderly couple. They're from San Diego. They just happened to be here. And we engaged in this Jesus conversation that was just so awesome. And here's the cool part. I have number four, and I have six of the employees at Sherry's. Several of them were listening to the conversation. Listen, one of them said, Pastor Dave, when you get your new building... Will you let me know when the grand opening is? I'm going to come to church. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't wait. (laughs) I said, hey, Jesus may come back, right? Anyway, uh, so I want to encourage you in that area. Um, It's a great tool to help us in our prayer life. Uh, Prayer is one of those things that can be uh, challenging, Remember, the disciples, they were with Jesus for three years continually. Initially, they had asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he did. He gave them, again, the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. But then later, after some two and a half to three years of being with them, again, they asked, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus said some very keen things in relationship to his Father. And the Holy Spirit saw fit that we would have numerous accounts, numerous accounts, when Jesus would go off into a solitary place and he would commune with his Father in the secret place. And I love that Jesus says, I only do, I only say, I only speak the things I have seen with my Father. He was with the Father. And we're not talking about his pre-incarnate time. He, he showed us how we could have relationship with the Father. And so it was in those communion times with his Father that the Father would reveal to him those things. I only speak those things I have seen with my Father. Well, and it made me, it made me ask the question, Maybe you'd ask yourself the question, what is the Father showing me? What's the Father showing you? You might say, PD, it's a blank canvas. I might respond, how's your closet time? How's your closet time? That's important, right? Let's go into that solitary place when we pray. He didn't say if you pray, right? He said when you pray. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees you in the secret place will reward you openly. Praise God. Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool that the Lord, our Father in heaven, desires to 
reward. And I and I don't think about rewards like we're going to get accolades from men and that kind of thing. You know, I, what's the greatest reward in many respects? When we've gone into the closet and we have been bringing before the mercy seat prayers, requests, supplications, intercessions, what's the greatest reward? The answer to the prayer. Right? I mean, to me, Father, I was praying for this, and the Father says, okay, here. Wow. Now, there's been times where God says, no, Dave, you're asking amiss. <laughs> you ever had those moments where you, you realize, God the Spirit reveals to you, you're, you're praying according to your own thoughts and your own heart. And, and thanks be to God that he speaks and he reveals that stuff too. Amen? Amen. So, just an encouragement. Um, all that being said, hey, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 8. For those of you, I think everybody here has been a part of our study for uh, at least part or some of the study that we've been through the book of Revelation. But by way of a reminder, Revelation is the only book of the 66 books contained in the canon of Scripture that comes with a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, and to those who keep the words that are contained in it. Um, So... I hope and I trust that you are receiving and acknowledging the blessings that God has in your life. And my prayer would be that you and I would see the blessings of the Father. Have you been blind to the blessings of the Lord? I know I certainly have from time to time. And some of those blessings could be the simplicity of How about our good health? Uh, For those of you who have had ailing health, you're very aware when you feel good, more so than the majority of us who feel good most of the time. I said to uh, Mike and Joanne, I think it was you guys that I was talking to, uh, I don't think I've been sick in over, uh, literally over two, maybe three years. Literally, I, I mean, it's just, I just don't get sick. And in my home, you know, people are like, oh, I got this, I got that, I got that. I'm like, oh, come on, no. And, but if you ask him when I do get sick, I'm just a baby. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And uh, I mean, the very nature, your heart is working right now. And you don't have to tell it to do what it's doing. Your blood is going to your lungs and flowing through your lungs, being filtered, and it's getting oxygenated, and you're doing nothing about it. It's just going on its own. I mean, think about that for a moment. Have you ever, have you thought recently to thank the Lord that you can actually see color? Look in this room. You don't have to look very far to see all, look at this mural behind us. That's fascinating that you get to see color. That's just tremendous. What a blessing. You imagine a world of black and white, right? Remember the old hymn, Count Your Blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count one. Okay, I won't sing. Anyway, it's good stuff. So, as we come into this book of Revelation, there's blessing, there's blessing, and we're being blessed by the Lord, and He is giving revelation knowledge of some future events. And so we are being made aware 
of some things that are on the horizon. And when I say they're on the horizon, it is my personal belief that they are on the immediate horizon. The things that we are reading, they are, in my humble opinion, in my belief, on the immediate horizon. I believe the trumpet, the trumpet of God that will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture, I believe that we are on the cusp. We are on the cusp. Jesus is coming soon. So, we've gone through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 in great detail. Chapters 4 and 5, We see the church in heaven. There was a picture of the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 where John saw the window in heaven open and a voice that he had heard earlier say, come up here. Immediately he was in the spirit and he was in the throne room and in the midst of the throne room was the sevenfold plentitude of the spirit of God and we have this picture of the rapture being caught up and we see two chapters, chapter 4 and 5, the church in heaven. Then we've seen in chapter 5 that seven sealed scroll John wept bitterly because there was no one found worthy to break the scrolls we recognize from the text and from Old Testament scripture that would verify and validify that that scroll written within and without was a title deed if you will most would hold that it is the title deed to the earth and John wept bitterly because there was no one found in heaven, on earth, or under the earth worthy to take the scroll. Which meant, and John, in his weeping bitterly, understood that if there's no one found to take the scroll, redemption is impossible. And man's plight is separation from God eternally he was told weep not john behold the lion of the tribe of judah has prevailed he turns and he sees a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth jesus hallelujah takes the scroll he was worthy he takes the scroll and he begins to break the seals we've seen now all seven seals have been broken there was a what we would call a parenthetical pause between the sixth and the seventh seal. And that parenthetical pause really was chapter 7 where we see the sealing of 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are sealed with the seal of God. They are going forth and they're evangelizing in the world. Remember we're told earlier that this gospel will be preached in every nation every ethnos, every language group will hear the gospel. These are going to be going out 144,000 like Billy Graham's, Greg Laurie's, preaching the gospel on a large scale. The second half of chapter 7 is this large multitude of martyrs, if you will, this great multitude from the tribulation period the great tribulation that had given their hearts to the lord and they really are the fruit of these evangelists work during that tribulation period and so we came to chapter eight last week when we got together and we looked because when the seventh seal was broke 
we were introduced to seven angels. And seven angels that were given seven trumpets. These are the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments. And we looked at the first four blasts, if you will. And in the first four blasts, they are known as the one-third judgments. And so we'll review those quick, and then we'll dive into, really, chapter 9 tonight. So chapter 8, though, by way of review, he says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And you remember last week, we, we just paused for 30 seconds, and there was no sound. And it made us uncomfortable for a moment because I didn't preempt you. And you know that uncomfortable feeling when you see someone behind a microphone and they pause and it looks like maybe they lost their place and you're like, all of a sudden you begin to cheer them on by about second number three. Come on, you can find it. Get going, bro. You got this. And they're kind of, and it seems like an eternity and 30 seconds can seem like forever. Here's the, here's the scenario in uh, Jenny, you asked the question even about that whole, that whole time question. Uh, God is outside of time. And that's a, that is an accurate statement. God is outside of time, but here's the nice thing about his creation. Not only is he outside of time, God is eternal, but God transcends time as well. And so the estimation of time is very keen. And so John being in that place, understanding time, he could estimate, hey, it was probably a half an hour or so. And so here's this accounting of the silence in heaven. And it's in in my estimation, my conjecture, this is the silence before the storm. It's almost like the eye of the needle. You see, the wrath of the Lamb began with the breaking of the first seal. And we're told that in chapter 6, that it's the wrath of the Lamb, and they were hiding from the wrath of the Lamb. So the wrath of God has begun, and now there's like a pause, if you will. There's a silence. It's almost like that first wave of the hurricane has come through, and the wind was turning this way, and now... They're coming on the backside, and it's going to hit them from the other side. It was hitting on the front side over here. Now it's going to be coming on the backside. And it's some heavy judgment. And remember that God's judgment is always what? Redemptive. Redemptive. This is a Christ-rejecting world, a Messiah-rejecting people. And the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God being poured out is redemptive to bring as many as possible to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Isn't it awesome that when Jesus left, he said, it's expedient for you that I go, for if I stay, the Spirit of God cannot come, but when I go, I will leave the Spirit, and the Spirit will be in you, he will come upon you, he will give you power. To live. And so during the tribulation period, God is not devoid of a witness for people to respond to the gospel. Thanks be to God. And so he is redemptive in his nature and in his in his plan. And so it says, And I saw the seven angels, verse two of chapter eight, before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar and was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before or which was before the throne. 
And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of all the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. We talked a little bit about the prayers. We talked a little bit about the censer. We talked about the fire from the altar very briefly. And remember, even the prayers of those martyrs early on, the martyrs that were beneath the altar, they said, how long, O Lord, until vengeance? How long, O Lord? It almost sounds like when the censer is filled with fire and hurled to the earth, that it's almost like there's prayers from those saints that may be coming down to earth and vengeance is coming right the bible tells us vengeance is mine declares the lord and so there is judgment forthcoming and so we come to verse seven the first angel sounded and hail and fire followed mingled with blood and there were thrown and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. We talked in detail about this. Interestingly enough, if you turn back in your Bible to the Old Testament, go back to the minor prophets, and if you look at Joel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, let's see, Joel. Joel chapter 2 says... Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. He says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And I think about the blood and the fire, and here we see the hailstones with fire mingled with blood and it may in fact be the fulfillment of that prophecy in the the prior to the great and uh, mighty day of the lord and so the first trumpet has sounded a third of the vegetation a third of the trees a third of the grass is uh destroyed the second trumpet, verse 8, The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Do you know that we actually have the number of ships that are on the seas? It's somewhere between 25,000 and 30,000 ships. And whatever that totality of number of ships that there are just we we talked very much in detail last week about what could be transpiring here and how those ships can be destroyed and so I want to encourage you to uh, do a little research and uh, if you weren't with us last week uh, actually uh, the sermons should be online as of this coming week uh, there'll be at least 10 online and so they're they're still navigating with how to get all of that uh, set up with the totality of the bank uh, but our Sunday evening and our Sunday morning most recent sermons will be uh, will be up this coming week so that that's good and if you want to have a chance to uh, go back and look at that you can um, so verse uh, 10 the third trumpet is about to sound the angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers 
and all the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. It's interesting in Jeremiah chapter 9, and you can write these verses down and read them later. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, talks about the children of Israel uh, and their waters becoming wormwood and bitter and people being affected as a result of that. This, in fact, may be the case. Certainly those Jews that have rejected Christ during this tribulation period, those Jews, the focus of God is on them. And so this very, very likely could be referring to that time when Jeremiah prophesied. Uh, So we have a third of the rivers. So we've seen a third of the vegetation, a third of the seas, a third of the fresh waters, if you will. And uh, the fourth trumpet is going to be in the sky. Uh, Verse 12 goes on to say, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And so the fourth angel sounds, and a third of the sun was darkened. We looked at that last week as something on a cosmic scale. Certainly the sun shining will have an impact on the moon and its reflective light. Gary, I'll get to you in just a second. And then the stars, what would that look like? There's a number of different possibilities. A lot of commentators have suggested a number of different things. I shared last week what I thought it might be, and I had not read that in any other commentary. Certainly someone has thought about it before me, but the idea that the possibility of one-third of the light could be the UV light that is now going to be somehow blocked again like it was prior to the noatic flood which could be a preparation for the millennial reign of christ when men will live longer once again and so there's some things that will be happening on at least a galactic and uh, cosmic scale in that regard gary did you have a question yes <laughs> or the horse-like creatures that are about to come out of the abuso. Okay, I think he's given a warning here. And I think the warning here, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, when, when an angelic being, a heavenly being, gives warning, as mankind we can be certain something bad is about to happen. We've already seen cataclysmic kinds of things transpire. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around even what it will be like here on earth after the rapture. When millions of people disappear the terror I mean when there is a judicial uh, judgment made in a racial crime in America the cities prepare for rioting 
They have the O.J. Simpson trial on television, I think this coming Tuesday night or Thursday night. I don't know what night it is. Someone in my family is very acutely aware of it because very engaged in the whole thing when it was unfolding. And I tell you, it's, what's interesting to me is I wonder after they play the show on TV if there's not going to be riots again as a result of what happened in the courts during those days. And listen, the, the event of the rapture will be on a global scale. When a soccer team beats another soccer team and it incites riots in the streets, listen, when millions of Christians vanish, there is going to be fear. Listen, some families in their totality will disappear. They'll be gone. That means their stuff will be up for grabs. Right? It's going to be chaos. Chaos. And there are a number of things that will happen with the breaking of those seals where many people will die. Well, when those seals are broken, there's already been terrifying things transpiring. Now the trumpets are sounding and more terror. Think about one-third of the trees on the planet being consumed, burned up. A third of all the grass consumed. Listen, there is going to be famine. In America, America being the breadbasket for the world, if the grasses that get burned up are in the Midwest, what are the cattle going to eat? The cattle will die without food. If the corn is gone and the grass is gone, the wheat and the barley is gone, the beef die. There's a shortage of food. Pestilence because of the dead animals. Pestilence because of the number of people that have already died. It's a terrifying time. And so, the fourth angel, now something on a very galactic and cosmic scale and so we hear the three woes they've seen some terrifying things and now the angel says yeah the next three better put your seatbelt on it's going to get rough it's going to get rough so we move into and yeah let's let's move forward um Chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, this star is different than the preceding one when we saw a mountain burning cast down to the sea in verse 8 and different uh, than chapter uh, or excuse me chapter 8 verse 10 when we saw a great star that fell from heaven burning like a torch 
the one that fell from heaven in chapter chapter 8 verses 8 and 10 one was like a mountain it was probably more a meteor and then we saw a star it was probably another type of meteor that had a trail that made it look like a torch that was coming down to the earth this particular star a star fallen from heaven and he is given a personal pronoun to him was given the key to the bottomless pit it begs the question who is this fallen star who is this fallen one stars throughout scripture refer to angels also a number of places in the old testament we find in, i believe it's in revelation chapter 13 that we'll get to in the weeks to come when satan fell the scripture says the, the the tail of the dragon took with its tail a third of the stars from heaven. And so we've interpreted that, that a third of the angels fell in rebellion in the days that Satan rebelled in the heavenlies. And so there are fallen angels. This particular angel, I want, I want to... I want to just take a moment and note a few things about the supernatural realm. Um, The scripture reveals to us a number of things. We can have what I would call spiritual military intelligence. When we wage war, Remember, our battle, the Bible tells us, is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, authorities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are principalities, there are powers, there are authorities, there are rulers. But here's what I want you to note. Here we see, to him was given the key. He did not have it previously. Do you know that the world somehow believes that Satan is in charge of hell? That somehow he's ruling down in hell with a pitchfork in his hand, torturing those who have gone to hell already. That is not what the Bible tells us. In fact, hell, the lake of fire and brimstone, was created for the devil and his angels. It was prepared, a place prepared for them where they will spend eternity separated from God and in torments for their rebellion. Now, The key was given to him at this point. He's going to unlock. Now, whether this is Satan himself or not, I don't know. The scripture does not bear that out. Whomever it is, it could, in fact, be Satan. Remember, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The good news is, he says, behold, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and how much of the power of the evil one? 
all of the power of the evil one. So we have authority in Jesus' name over every principality, every power, every authority, every ruler, those rulers of darkness in the heavenly places. We have authority over them, and that's good news for us. And so, here he is given the key to the bottomless pit. He has been given authority. He is he has certain boundaries. And so here it says, And he opened, verse 2, the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of it, out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. Some people say, What is that? Well, the scripture says, And smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. I think it's probably smoke that arose like out of a great furnace. (laughs) So, it says, So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power. I want you to note this for a moment. Locusts, the Bible tells us in Proverbs... It says, they advance in rank with no king. They have no leader. They have no king. They have no commander. The locusts just move. It's in their DNA. They don't need a leader. They're like ants. If you notice that ants, ants just do what ants do because it's in their DNA. They do their deal. Now there is the queen ant that lays the eggs. That's her assignment. But they're not saying, all right, you ants over here, you go do this. And some of you ants, you're on the dung hill over here. You do your business over there and take care. And you fellows over here, you take out the trash. And you fellas. No one, there's no commanders amongst the ants. The ants just go and do their job. And they're pretty efficient at it. Locusts are the same way. And here we're going to find that these particular locusts seem to have a leader. But before we get there, let me, let me say this. It would be my assertion, and I I think that there are a number of commentators and Bible theologians that would agree, this appears to be a demonic army, a demonic army, okay? So let's let's go a little further. I want you to note again in verse 3 that they were given power, okay? That's another keen scripture to recognize their given power. They're given their ability. They're given their authority. Listen, when, when we think about Satan, and when we think about those principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities, those different rankings in the supernatural realm, recognize that any authority that they have is a delegated authority because they do not have it intrinsic in themselves. Oftentimes, certainly... I know in my own life, when I was a young believer, my concern was that somehow Satan was Jesus' equal. And so I was very terrified early on in my faith that somehow the devil was going to get a hold of my life. Satan is not Jesus' equal. Jesus is eternal God. Eternal God omniscient omnipotent omnipresent he's almighty god satan is a 
created being. Any power is a given power. Here, this this group, this demonic army, if you will, has been under lock and key. They've been in bondage until this point. That's noteworthy. They were subject to the authority that is over them. That's good news. And so, it says, And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded, verse 4, not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, think about this for a moment. Those who have the seal of God on their forehead are protected just like the Israelites in the land of Goshen were protected from the plagues that were coming upon the Egyptian people during the days just prior to the Exodus. Now, I don't know what it was like, and you might do a review of the book of Exodus and the ten plagues that came upon the Egyptian people. But it must have been something for them to realize that all of the Egyptians... I mean, imagine if you were an Egyptian at that point, you would really covet and desire to be an Israelite at that point. Because these were terrible, terrible plagues. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, flies are awful. Flies are just simply awful. I, I, I came in tonight and there was a little fly flying around in this room. Do you know that no matter what, this is the craziest thing in the world, no matter what, if there's a fly in the sanctuary, he comes to the pulpit. And we could, it could be Sunday morning and just teaching and it lands in, I'm like, I, seriously, somebody else please, right? And so I walked over, I was talking with Gary for a moment, and the little fly and it landed right on, right on this little, I mean, I don't have very much hair up here, right? And he lands right on one of them, and I could feel, I'm like, guy, just, they get, and imagine a plague of flies. Terrible. They get in everything. How about frogs? Hailstones, fire, water turning to blood. This terrible stuff, and let alone you get to the last, the death of the firstborn. I mean, this is this is something. So here we have these uh, similar, and they're told uh, not to harm uh, men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. For those Israelites who receive the seal of God. And we'll discover a little bit more about who they are. They're males who had not defiled themselves with women. And they have the seal of God and they're going out proclaiming they're protected. Amazing. The hand of God protecting his chosen. And it goes on to say, verse 5, And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, verse 6, men will seek death 
and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will free from them. Now, five months, five months is a long time. Have you waited for something for five months before? Yeah, five months is a long time. Listen, they're not given authority to kill. Again, so they have limited authority that is given. In other words, their authority has a boundary. That's noteworthy for us. Remember, our adversary, the devil, who roams around like a roaring lion. Hey, listen, his roar is worse than his bite because he has limited authority. Right? We, we say, well, his bark is worse than his bite. Well, that is the case with the enemy. His bark is worse than his bite because he has limited authority. So, and here, let me say this. Do you know that in your life and in my life, the authority that he has is the authority that we give him? Because for the believer, he's a defeated foe, right? So, Let's not give him any authority in our lives, right? There's a principle for us. Let's not give the enemy any authority in our lives. And so he, they're not given the authority to kill, but to torment for five months. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. That's a little perplexing to me. Because in my mind, I, I could imagine... Look, if I wanted to take my life, I could just go up an elevator and get on the top of a very high building and jump. Imagine landing and not dying and being a rubble of broken bones inside of a bag called my body. That'd be a very bad day. And death does not leave. I mean, death, I can't escape. Yeah. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time for folk. Again, remember, redemption, redemption, redemption. So, verse 7. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. Now remember, when we see horses in Scripture, horses is, in the Old Testament, horses were analogous with judgment. And again, so there's, this, there's a picture of judgment here again. The shape of the locust was like horses for battle, prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings uh, in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Verse 11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is abandoned. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. This would not be the first time 
or reference to a spiritual army. Okay? Uh, turn also back to me with, uh, or with me back to the book of Joel, and we'll go to Joel chapter 2 again. Joel chapter 2. Joel 2, verses 1 through 9. Listen to this description. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the Lord, or excuse me, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over the mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. Though they run to and fro in the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the houses, they enter at the windows like a thief. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Here we have another picture, possibly in reference to this particular army. Joel the prophet foresees and is told these things in advance. And so, locusts, demonic army, I would hold that it's a demonic army in that they are not, if it is a locust or a creature of some type, a bug of some type, it's different than locusts, even though John gives us the description of a locust because we are told in Proverbs that locusts have no king. Here we have reference to a king, and the king is the one who is the uh, the one in the bottomless pit. And so, the first woe is behind And there's two more coming. Uh, Verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. This fascinates me. These particular angels, these four, 
prepared for this very moment. This very moment. For the angels had been prepared for that hour, day, month, and year were released. And were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, we could do some estimations. We could go through, and I'm sure some folks have done this in the past, the numbers on the planet continue to grow in exponential rates. The death rate is lagging far behind the birth rate. So the growth of population right now is increasing. The number of people on the face of the planet is growing exponentially. And if we assumed a certain number going up in the rapture, and we see already the number of folks that could have died as a result of some of the plagues, some of the seals being broken or the trumpets being sounded, or martyrs that are giving their lives to Christ as a result of during the tribulation becoming Jesus followers. They give their lives for their faith. We could make some estimations when they say a third of mankind is going to be killed. We would discover that it's still a very large number based on the sheer population of the earth. A third. Listen, if there was five billion still on earth, one third would represent like 1.6 billion people. 1.6 billion people. In the United States today, there are less than 400 million in these United States. That's more than three times. That's actually four times the population of the United States. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. This is scary. The sheer mass of human life lost at that point. Who's going to bury those bodies? You know, we are in a post-war generation in America really even in our ability to conceive now we know that we have soldiers right now we have marines and we have uh, men in the army soldiers we have uh, seamen that are out to sea and they are engaging in battle but the numbers that are doing so are smaller today when World War I and World War II were going on, World War II, over 50 million people died. 50 million. But think about it. During that time, the population of the earth was about 2 billion. 2 billion. So proportionally, 50 million is a very large number. And we, I've been through uh, Dachau in Germany, in Munich, Germany, the concentration camp, and I've seen photographs of bodies. It's inconceivable for our minds because we've not been exposed to that kind of thing unless you're a history major 
or if you have National Geographic magazines from some time past or a Time magazine on war. We don't see that kind of stuff. And people are going to see, you would not be able to not see that kind of thing when 1.6 billion people may die. And again, we're just, that's an arbitrary conjecture kind of number, but it's very conceivable. And so, very scary. And it says in verse 16, now the number of the army of horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire, by smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, with, uh, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. I believe this is another demonic army, 200 million in strength, Horses with heads like lion that breathe fire, smoke, and brimstone. It's not something that you and I see today on the planet. Uh, it's very possible that that is the case. Tails like serpents with which they do harm. And is it fascinating and gripping that with the amount of destruction and the totality of all that transpires that the heart of man is unrepentant unrepentant presently we're on our Wednesday morning Bible study that we're going through the book of Judges and the children of Israel veer away and it says again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they're unrepentant time and time and time again. I wonder about our own lives. Sometimes we have received the grace of God. Amen. Amen. And yet, in the midst of receiving the grace of God, do you ever ask yourself, why do I return to my former way of living? I've received the grace of God. I've received the liberation from sin. Sin no longer has a power over me. In fact, I am no longer living under the law of sin and death, but under the law of life in the Spirit. And yet I subject myself to the rules of the laws of sin and death. I go back to my sin. As the Scripture reminds us in the book of Proverbs, as a fool 
returns to his folly, so a dog returns to his vomit, or as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool is folly. The very thing that it was in sickening and made the dog vomit, he goes away and then returns and gobbles it right back up. And believers often will do this. And we see the pattern. God help us. God transform our hearts. Transform our hearts. Maybe you're here tonight and we'll close with this. In fact, I'll invite you to stand and we'll close in a moment. We've come to the end of chapter 9 and we'll pick up in chapter 10. Next Sunday morning, we will be in chapter 7 Sunday morning. We're going to pick up on a a very uh, keen piece that we didn't really talk about on Sunday evening as we went verse by verse, but a characteristic of our Father who is in heaven. And uh, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of uh, Sunday morning next week. But as we come to a close tonight and the application or the principle, the very nature that these people found themselves unrepentant, unrepentant, I want to encourage all of us as we approach our week this week, we're going to be spending time with our Father. We're going to be going into our rooms, closing the door. I want to encourage you like the psalmist. The psalmist says, morning, evening, and at noontime, I call on the Lord. I want to encourage you to even think about the patterns of your day, the pattern and the rhythm of your life, and get in rhythm with guys like Daniel. Daniel got up in the morning and he prayed. Early in the morning, David said, I rise and seek thee early in the morning i will rise hey set our alarms a little early go into that quiet place close the door behind you <laughs> i see I, I see jason smiling because he's like yeah i get up at three thirty already <laughs> but maybe what, whatever your pattern is get up a few minutes early get up a few minutes early go into that closet desire covet time if you will if i can use that word positively covet time with your father I remember my kids just couldn't wait for dad to come home. Dad's home. And they'd, I'd come in, they'd be running up to the door, and they'd be hugging my legs. Dad, get on the floor, let's play Legos. And they just wanted dad time. Dad time. Do we do that with our father? I just want some dad time. Dad time. Let's be that way. Let's get up a little early. Let's, hey, at noontime, maybe you have your normal lunch routine. Why not break routine? Take a few minutes of that lunchtime and get alone. Maybe you go out to your car, close the door, and just sit in your car. Maybe you turn the car on and you'll put some worship music on and just sing to your father, whatever it might be. Maybe you'll spend time just reading through the Scripture and just, medit- just Lord, what are you saying to me right now? However it is for you, spend time with your father and ask him, Lord, is there an area in my heart that I'm unrepentant? Will you reveal to me? Reveal me to me, my heart to me because I I don't want to be like these guys I don't want to be like these guys who see death and destruction because remember when sin is given birth it does what it gives birth to death that's what James tells us it gives birth to death oh Lord we've seen enough death we've seen enough destruction that sin has caused Lord help me to not have a place of unrepentance amen Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Always a challenge, always an encouragement, always inspiring, always filled with hope. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Help us in the meantime to be 
salty salt and bright light. Lord, not under a bushel, not under a basket, but on a hill that all can see. A lamp on a lampstand, if you will, shining bright, filling the room. Lord, I pray that where we go, where we tread our foot, those that we come into contact, Lord, help us to convey the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. The Lord bless you guys.